Hey podcast, uh, before we get into podcast, when I say hey podcast, I mean all of you who are listening. So first of all, thank you for listening. Second of all, uh, two little things for you to know about before we get into today's podcast. One, the Monday to Monday playlist uh, that Mike Boyd and I curate each week on Monday with uh, a lot of incredible music from a ton of emerging stars, especially if you're into Latin trap and hip hop. It's really made for you. Obviously, if you're Caleb and you love metal, not for you. But if you are uh, the majority of people that enjoy hip hop or Latin trap, very, very much up for you. And so you can see that on Apple and on Spotify, Monday to Monday. I'm not sure exactly what, if you search Monday to Monday, it should pop up. That should be good. Search Monday to Mo- Monday to Monday on those two platforms to subscribe to the playlist. And also, I'm traveling a bunch. Some canceled because of Corona, but uh, others still on, and that is slash events. Go check that out. A bunch of speaking engagements. I know I have Vegas a couple times here in the spring and many other events. So Edmonton, stand up. Uh, And so I can't wait to see you there. Hope you uh, go and I hope you listen and I hope you enjoy this podcast. This is the Gary V Audio Experience. Hey guys, this is Raghav. I'm Gary's copywriter and strategist on Team Gary V. In this episode, you're going to hear Gary's first episode of LinkedIn 5, uh, where he shares his business hot takes on the corporate world, on marketing opportunities that he sees, and just his observations on business. In this podcast, I'm on the phone with Gary. I'm asking him questions about his observations on a few companies, uh, specifically Hershey's, Levi's, Supreme, AT&T, and Medium, and you're gonna hear his response. Hope you guys enjoy. What could Hershey's do? Uh, I think that they should get into meaningful chocolate extensions. I mean, when you hear Hershey's, you hear chocolate, right? And so whether it's direct-to-consumer chocolate shakes, protein shakes, like line extensions where chocolate has permission, I also would probably create a super premium chocolate bar, like a $25 Hershey's bar that elevates the brand, um, which then makes kind of their core products seem like a good deal. So that's what I would do with Hershey's. Uh, Levi's, I think, really needs to think about uh, a, a couple things. So, like, what's funny about there is we're talking about an iconic brand that, with denim. Um, what I think Levi's should consider is, like, really. Levi's feels like the brand that can really win the first, you know, kind of smart pants game. You know, when your pants kind of tell you you need to lose weight because your waist is connected to your phone. I think the smartification of jeans is going to be a real business, uh, and I think it's Levi's for the taking. I think Supreme needs to be careful. I think Supreme's extending its brand. So it's funny, Hershey's, I want them to extend it. Supreme, I want them to be thoughtful about where they extend it, right? They're doing a ton of JVs with other brands and eventually it becomes a saturation play. So they're a big business, so I have a lot of empathy for that. But I would tighten that brand up and be thoughtful about where it's extending because when you think about brands like Playboy, it extended its brand to everything and eventually didn't mean anything and so I think Supreme needs to be very thoughtful, especially because it's cool to not overextend their brand to places that are not cool that eventually makes them not cool. Well, it's less about whether they should stick to, it's just that no matter how much a brand that's dorky pays them, they should not do JBs with them. AT&T's tough because it's really, a media company at scale at this point where you know it owns Turner and Warner Media and HBO it's you know it's a media conglomerate i think they need to find the best ip in the world and and attach that to their distribution products and so 
a little less versed in what I would actually do there other than realizing that House of Cards or when Fox got the NFL or when Fox got the Simpsons or you know, networks are, or, or Bravo with Queer Eye, like networks are built a lot of times on IP. OTTs are now networks in theory. And so a lot of thinking around what content they're gonna fill their pipes with, hence why they did the Turner deal, but I think it needs to extend even further now and they need franchises. Yeah, I mean, if, if, if the news that the HBO Max play is more family friendly to go after Disney Plus, I think that would make sense, right? When we think about HBO, we think high quality, more adult, and um, I think the HBO brand, much like Hershey's, Hershey's has a lot of opportunity to go and expand its wings. That's a good one, Medium. So I should disclose that I was an early investor in Medium. Um, <laughs> Mark, <laughs> legal likes that. Mom's sitting next to Mark. Um, uh, you know, it's funny. They, they've gone, you know, pay for content, which I'm a buyer of. I've been clicking, I have found myself in the last 12 months clicking articles that I find on social and then want to read them and they're behind paywalls and I haven't paid yet but last week there was an article I really wanted to read and I was close and I thought that was an interesting chemical feeling that I was close to signing up for something that I probably would never use again which meant that I was happy paying $108 to read that article because it was $9 a month and I knew that I would never use it and forget about it forever and pay 108 a year just to read this one sports article. And so I think Medium has that potential uh, for sure and I think original creative content, think of Medium like serious. If they can get some original writers that only live in that environment, their subscription product can get really good and so that's what I think. Uh, Yeah, I think, look, I think anybody can charge for content if they're good enough and I think most people aren't good enough which is why they should go for free and build leverage. So it really just comes down to casting. Like last time I checked, nobody on earth would pay me, would pay to come watch me play basketball, right? But, but there's 300 guys that people would. And so, that's how I think about things. Like, there's a lot of people, 99% of the content creators today are not good enough, AKA the market doesn't love them enough, enjoy it enough to pay for it. But one to 2% are good enough. And I think there's big business there in written audio and video form and I think you'll see that continue to play out over the next decade. Twitter story testing, I love that. I think every platform should be in the stories business. Ephemeral content works. That's why it worked on Instagram, that's why it's working on YouTube, that's why it's working on Spotify, and if, tw- if you're telling me right now that Twitter's testing a stories product, that excites the shit out of me. Everybody should be using stories across all these platforms and LinkedIn, it's just contextual to the audience, like business-centric or, you know, you know my take on LinkedIn, it's starting to become more Facebook. Stories is a function that humans have told us we like. We like that style of distribution. Give me something snackable that disappears, I like that. Oh, by the way, television and newspapers and radio were in stories format. Only the internet sits there forever. <laughs> like, like everything else that we were consuming, in tra- traditional media was built on ephemeral content. The news played and then went away. Didn't stick there forever. So, you know, you would watch a TV show and then later VHS came and later DVR came. So, this is a human behavior. We're super okay with consuming content that goes away. Just let me consume it in a non-frictionless environment 
and uh, and in a friction in a frictionless environment. Excuse me, and uh, that's why I think stories as a function uh, is going to become a very meaningful genre, and it already is. And um, it doesn't surprise me that every platform is building out their quote-unquote stories capability. Once you're educated on what the grading companies do, how you look up prices on eBay, like once you become educated, then you've got to start the next level of education, which is, do you actually know sports? Like, do you know who Donovan Mitchell is? Do you know who Juan Soto is? Like, do you know sports and do you have a take? Do you think X, Y? One of the most exciting parts for a lot of people is of the side hustle or the business of collecting and flipping sports cards is when they're gonna be right. People like the feeling of being right almost as much as the economics. I thought this, it's kind of like loving a band. You know, you're like, I love this band, and then they become the biggest band in the world. Part of you's mad at them, because that's what fans do, but part of you feels credit. Like, I knew it first. I knew this artist was gonna be big. I like looking back at my picture with Gunna, knowing I was right, right? And so, I think that that's gonna happen for a lot of people. Do you know who the right baseball player, the basketball player, do you, do you, are you educated enough to know Jaron Jackson Jr. is an under the radar, really good basketball player, do you then, then you go and buy the cards and then you, you watch it for a year or two. So it's like education. Or you go into classic mode. LeBron, Jordan, Brady, you know, you know like just like icon, you just go to sleep and just watch it progress over the next five, 10, 15 years. And that's what I'm, by the way, 80% of my behavior is buy and go to sleep. This is for 20 years from now. But then understanding which one, like okay, you, you know, you, you're into Michael Jordan, Knowing it's the 86, 87 Fleer as the kind of iconic card, knowing that the alternative 85 Nike card or the 85 Interlake card, like do those have sneaky upside in them because they're weird and rare? Knowing that Star was a company that made cards but there's a lot of fakes out there. So education. If you have less than, if you have less than $1,000, you have to be in flip fast culture. Right now as of writing this article, you should be buying baseball players you believe in. Mookie Betts, Cody Bellinger, Kristen Yelich, you know, uh, you know, Juan Soto, Acuna, because you want to get the spike of the first couple weeks. And pe- you know, Pete Alonso, who hit 53 homers in New York last year, hit seven homers in the first week. His card's gonna spike. And right now, because you don't have a lot of money, you're buying and flipping. So you want to buy Pete at 70 and then sell at 100 because now you have 100 to invest in the next guy, right? And so, if you have under a thousand, you're looking for short-term arbitrage, NBA playoffs. You're looking for baseball. If you've got a little bit more money, you're going long-term, like the classics, Will Chamberlain, Oscar Robinson, that kind of stuff. But you're also potentially looking at football, which won't spike until September. No, NFL are my favorite because too many injuries. And the market has shown me it's really a quarterback's league with a little bit of receiver and a little bit of running back. And so, between injuries, I mean look, this year, Ben Roethlisberger out for the year, like, you can get hurt with quarterbacks because they get hurt. And so, it's just the most dangerous sport and, uh, and that's why it's less exciting for me. I actually like football cards out of the four, out of the three major sports, because I don't even do that with hockey anymore. Out of the three major sports, football is the most interesting to invest in right now because the prices are softer than they will be in August and September when everybody revs up for the season. So like a Lamar Jackson rookie and a Pat Mahomes rookie right now is definitely at a place right now that it's less than what it's gonna be in August and September when everybody gets hot. I mean, Kawhi Leonard's popularity matters because Kawhi Leonard's one of the best basketball players in the world, and it, but if he was more popular, more showboaty, uh, his cards would be more valuable.
he'd have more fans. But that's not in his DNA and I respect that and good for him. Yeah, I don't think people factor off the field popularity enough in sports cards because it is a popularity contest because it's a supply and demand game. Is that what it is? Yeah. <clears throat> Can they do that? I don't think. Well, as it gets more competitive, you're gonna have to go to players that are less obvious that they're gonna be great, you know? So that just player picking won't be as easy as a first round pick. You might have to be right about a second round NBA pick, a fifth round NFL pick. Uh, number two, uh, you gotta start looking in other places. Like I think stickers are a place within cards that's are, that are interesting. I think weird sets, you know? Uh, I like the 1972 IC, I-C-E-E set. You know, that's not a, considered a big time set, but it's old basketball, oversized cards, hard to, hard to get in good grades. Like you gotta find new sets, new genres, uh, whether it's, you know, like, so we've got Pokemon and Magic the Gathering. Is, is there's some other game things, um, you know, other other variations of, and other other deeper down the path of players that aren't obvious or things that aren't obvious to others, in weird sets that have been made that maybe the hobby hasn't accepted as a big deal. The 1990 NBA basketball inserts were not as hot in the 90s and 2000s as they are today. They got hot tur. Uh, you know, other sports, soccer is hot tur. Um, other formats, you know, I've been buying up a bunch of LeBron James bazooka cards. Uh, those are not traditionally seen as very good rookie cards. I'm wondering if they might be. Uh, different kinds of sets. There's, a, I bought a bunch of 1987 basketball Converse set. Converse the sneaker put out the set. I think that's an interesting set. So. Looking for different angles. As we end today's podcast, I want to give a huge shout out to the people, you know, it's so funny. People that leave reviews and written reviews of this podcast on Apple, Spotify, and all the other platforms just mean the world to me. You've taken an extra 13 to 95 seconds to show love and also give context to people of why this is a worthwhile podcast. So I appreciate that so much. And even more fun, because uh, I think we all love a little cosign or a shout out or a little awareness. Uh, I'm going to have the team give a, couple of shout outs uh, daily on uh, our favorite reviews. So Dean, take it away. Which were our favorites this week? Thanks, Gary. Today's reviews, Paradigm Shift and You Need This, You Just Don't Know It Yet. Written in by G. Daniel Ewix and Carlton Lindsay say. This podcast, in addition to other Gary Vee content, has helped me shift my view of the world to a value-add, consumer-centric, opportunity-driven paradigm. I make well over six figures in banking, but I've started flipping thrift items and football cards to raise funds for my 10-year plan and a family vacation here and there. Good work. Love the daily episodes, too. And secondly, Empathy Meets Practicality. This is a go-to podcast for any and all. I used to think this guy has been saying the same thing for so long. As soon as I realized it was intentional, things got real interesting. Everybody's got an unlock. Listen long enough, and you'll find yours. Love you, G. Thank you both so much for writing in, and remember, keep leaving reviews because yours could be next.